In a sermon on this particular passage, Barbara Brown Taylor tells about her granddaughter, Madeline, who was seven at the time. Um, it seems that when it came time for Madeline to blow out the candles on her birthday cake, she did so without making a wish. Aren't you going to make a wish? Her mother asked. You have to make a wish, her grandfather said. Madeline looked as if someone had just run over her cat. I don't know why I keep doing this, she said to no one in particular. Doing what? I asked. This wishing thing, she said, looking at the empty chair at the table. <clears throat> Last year, I wished that my best friend wouldn't move away, but she did. This year, I want to wish that my mommy and daddy would get back together. That's not going to happen, her mother said, so don't waste your wish on that. I know it's not going to happen, Madeline said. So why do I keep doing this? As Barbara points out, in Madeline's case, the issue was wishing, not praying. But she imagines that Jesus was having a similar problem with his loved ones. The disciples really wanted everyone to know that Jesus was the one for whom they had been waiting. But instead, people were trying to get rid of him. And Jesus himself was telling them that those efforts would succeed. Decades later, when Luke wrote his gospel, things hadn't gotten much better. Though Jesus had promised he would return, it hadn't happened yet, and there was no sign of the kingdom coming anytime soon. People were losing heart. So Jesus, or excuse me, Luke retold Jesus' story about a widow and a judge. Now, we take this story very seriously, but if you think about it, it's actually a really funny story. So... Contrary to what uh, a judge was supposed to be like, this guy just didn't care. By his own admission, he didn't fear God, and he certainly didn't care about it or even have respect for the people who came before him. I imagine him sitting slumped in his seat, looking bored as people plead their cases. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Then one day, a plaintiff shows up whom he cannot ignore. A widow comes to him saying, grant me justice against my opponent. That she was alone was unusual. Widows were among the most vulnerable in society, having absolutely no social status without being connected in some way to a brother-in-law or an uncle or a father, someone, a man, basically. And you can find many passages in the Bible in which God commands that widows are to be cared for and protected because of this. Indeed, those who heard this story would expect the judge, a man with power and authority, to help her. But he refuses to do so. End of story. Except that this widow doesn't give up. Instead, she comes back the next day, and the next, and the next, and the next, Relentlessly pleading her case, hounding the judge and imagining justice, demanding justice, she is absolutely tenacious. And I would imagine, since this was not in a courtroom, but probably out by the city gates, that people are kind of watching this and going, oh, look at that. And it's getting more and more amused, and the judge is getting less and less amused. Though she's, because though she's getting nowhere, she persists, she perseveres. Finally, the judge can stand it no longer, and he gives the woman what she wants. Why? Our English translation says that the judge says, well, so she may not wear me out by her continually coming. But the original Greek says, so that she may not, in the end, give me a black eye. <laughs> That's what it says. Hilarious. You're not laughing. 
And maybe we're not laughing because I suspect that most of us have been in the judge's shoes having to deal with someone who wants something from us and just won't give up. I also suspect that we know what the widow felt like when the judge refused her request day after day after day. Though her cause, even though her cause was just, even though she had every right to ask that judge for justice, she could not seem to get through to him. If I had been that widow, I would have been incredibly frustrated and upset, even angry. I might have given that judge a black eye. <laughs> but it also would have been so easy to give up, to lose faith, to lose heart. When we can't get through to someone, when we are desperate for someone's help, when we can't get through even though we try our best, it's hard. And this is especially true when that someone is God, when the prayers that we offer seem to fall on deaf ears, when someone we love is desperately ill, we pray, when someone we care about seems trapped in a cycle of addiction, we pray. When we are angry over injustice done or fearful about the world's situation, we pray. We pray for our loved ones, for our children, our parents, our spouses, our dear friends, and that is good and right. But when our prayers go unanswered, or the response always seems to be other than that for which we hope, like young Madeline, we can't help but ask, why do I keep on doing this? I think Jesus understood this. I think he understood the implicit question that's hiding in this parable. The question that's in this parable is, is God like the unjust judge? Is God like someone who just, even though we keep pounding on that door, he doesn't answer it? Is that the kind of God we have? Indeed, Jesus almost dares the disciples to ask it. Listen to what the unjust judge says, he tells them. Then he goes on to pose questions of his own. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? But he doesn't let us sit there long. In fact, his answer may surprise us. I tell you, he will quickly, quickly grant justice to them. God, Jesus says, is not at all like the unjust judge. God does not answer our prayers to get rid of us. On the contrary, God desires to be in relationship with God, and God's nature is to give and give and give some more. Indeed, one might see God in the character of the persistent widow. In a commentary on this passage, Margit Ernst Habib writes, God is so persistently in love with us. God's love is so sovereign and so unshakable that we can trust in this God to bring about justice. We can be sure that God hears our prayers, our crying day and night, even though we may not see any results yet. God has not forgotten us. God will not delay long in helping us. I just finished reading a wonderful book written by another Madeline, Madeline Lingle. It's called Two-Part Invention, and it is a beautiful memoir of her 40-year marriage to actor Hugh Franklin. And in particular, he speaks of their struggle with the cancer that ultimately takes his life. At one point near the end, when things are very desperate, she asks in, her, in this book, 
What happens to all those prayers when not only are they not answered, but things get far worse than anyone ever anticipated? What about prayer? We do not know. We will not know in this life. Some prayers are magnificently answered. More than once, this has been the case in my own life, the glorious miracles of prayer. But this summer, the answers have been all negative. The doctors say everything has gone wrong, one thing after another. What about prayer? Surely the prayers have sustained me, are sustaining me. Perhaps there will be unexpected answers to these prayers, answers that I may not be aware of for years, but they are not wasted. They are not lost. I do not know where they have gone, but I believe that God holds them, hand outstretched to receive them like precious pearls. Like precious pearls. It's a beautiful image of God's persistent love, an image that assures us that our prayers are not in vain. No, God is not at all like the unjust judge. God is persistent in loving us, and that hope, that promise gives us the courage to pray and pray and pray and pray some more. The widow's might, if you will, lies not in social status or wealth or influence. It lies in her persistence, her perseverance, her unrelenting pursuit of justice. Like the widow, we are to be keep coming back to God with our requests, to keep on praying, to keep on trusting in God's love, to keep on hoping even when everything seems hopeless. At the very end of this passage, Jesus asks a poignant question. And yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Faith that holds on in spite of everything, faith that does not lose heart. Jesus knew that in Barbara Brown Taylor's words, then as now, most people prayed like they brushed their teeth once in the morning and once at night as part of their spiritual hygiene program. But that's not the kind of prayer to which we are called. Instead, we are called to pray even when our prayers seem pointless. Why? Because our prayers are more than just pleas for help. As Kimberly Bracken Long writes, they are our participation in the coming reign of God. They are our acts of resistance against all that is wrong in this world, against illness, against unkindness, against injustice. When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are both professing our trust in the promise that God's will, God's justice, God's love will ultimately prevail, and proclaiming our commitment to living in ways that help to make that promise a reality. Praying, Taylor writes, keeps us engaged with what matters most so we don't lose heart. I decided to preach on this passage in part because I'm beginning to realize that we really need to pray for our church, to pray hard. We have been, over the last month or so, and will continue to do this, trying to discern God's will, God's vision, God's dream for the future of this congregation. 
But in the process of sending out letters and pondering questions and having discussions, we may have forgotten that the one who has the answer is God. And indeed that God's answer is the one that matters most. The other day I read Psalm 127, which begins, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. I think we need to take that word seriously. And so I am asking each of you to find some time every day for the next month to join me in praying specifically for this house of God, El Segundo United Methodist Church. I ask you to pray for our staff, for our children, for our members, for the people who use our facilities, for those who come to worship with us. But most of all, I ask you to pray that God will give us a vision that will inspire us and lead us into the future. If you want to pray with others, let me know, and we'll find a way to make that happen. But I want us to cry out day and night, seeking God's will and trusting in God's faithfulness, God's persevering love. Barbara Brown Taylor ends her sermon on this passage in Luke with these words. One day when Madeline asks me of prayer outright, whether prayer really works, I'm going to say, oh, sweetie, of course it does. It keeps our hearts chasing after God, God's heart. It's how we bother God. And it's how God bothers us back. There's nothing that works better than that. May it be so. Amen and amen.